0: you may be and welcome to this episode of stories from the vortex i'm matthew kressel and i'm joined as always by mary lang hello this episode there is nothing to fear we'll be looking at the first series of cyberman released back in 2005 cybermen they're
1: cybermen aren't they It will soon be time to implement the next phase of our plan. I've always been sure the humans could never defeat us.
0: Yes, you're popular. Yes, the people are happy. But the war situation gets worse by the moment. Do you know what the Cybermen are?
1: You will now return to the White House.
0: They're the future of the human race unless I can stop
1: it. I can't remember a time when I didn't trust you, Liam. We must return. Tell me what the hell's going on, Karen there is nothing to fear.
0: Cyberman, as I said, as I mentioned, was I believe Big Finish's second ever sort of spin-off thing. I guess if you don't include the two seasons of Dalek Empire, as two separate entities. Um, but I suspect very much that the success of Dalek Empire, at least on a creative level, was probably what led to Nicholas Briggs deciding the, to tackle Big Finish's sort of Doctor Who's other big monster. I, I have to admit, I haven't heard very much of Dalek Empire to date. I don't know about you, Mary.
1: No, I haven't either.
0: Uh, Something we should probably put on our to-do list for next year, because I think I can hear people screaming at us
1: down the (laughs) headphones. Well, I have to confess, Daleks are not my favorite Doctor Who monster, but Cybermen are. So anything with Cybermen in it, you know, always pricks my ears up.
0: Yeah, and I think, to be honest, I think part of the reason why we're doing this is because as we're recording, the Cybermen have just been marching down the steps of St. Paul (laughs) um, on TV, part of the finale. So maybe we're just trying to be a bit relevant. I don't know.
1: Or maybe I twisted your arm. <laughs>
0: but that's a possibility as well. There is nothing to fear, listeners. There
1: is nothing to fear.
0: Uh, that is a, a reoccurring motif in these stories. And while we're sort of on the topic of sort of relevancy, I think something that I've noticed a lot in reviews and that I certainly picked up upon while listening to this for the first time two or three years ago. It's interesting. This was recorded and released in 2005. So it's kind of, it's interesting that I think a lot of people have interpreted it as being kind of an allegory in a way for kind of the war on terror in a way. Because you open the stories up, and one of the very first things you get is somebody being tortured. And it's sort of, you know, this was the period of sort of Abu Ghraib and sort of when the first major revelations were coming out. Uh, But also the idea that there's this long war going on far off away with the threat of sort of, you know, attacks at home kind of thing. And, I, th- you know, it's yeah. You know, so I think it's an interesting kind of dynamic to it, but I think it goes back to something we sometimes talked about, that science fiction has the ability to kind of dress things up in a different context and present it to you if, that you might not necessarily be able to do if you were doing it as, as a straight drama, for example.
1: Well, one thing that I enjoy is that the major conflict that is referenced in this is between humans and androids. Right. And that is not a new theme, as you found out when you saw Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, That theme is there. And one of my most favorite sci-fi reboots is Battlestar Galactica. Yes. Which is all, you know, humans versus androids. And it makes me wonder, too, if there isn't an underlying theme of, um, you know, that we eventually learn to hate what we create. Yes.
0: Yes. I think it's interesting because I think had Battlestar Galactica, the reboot you were talking about, kind of started airing by the time this went out. I can't quite remember. Um, but I think I certainly thought of that as well, listening to it, because I think the whole point of this. And we should mention that um, the conflict that they mention is first mentioned or first referenced in sort of Orion, which is an eighth doctor audio done two or three years before this.
1: And that oh, we yeah, reviewed... I did enjoy that they that, that they actually refer back to the origins, which yeah ties in this early main range big finish story.
0: Yeah, which makes me think that this was something that Nick Briggs really wanted to do, probably for a while, and finally got the opportunity to do it. But you know, you mentioned Battlestar Galactica, and I think there's a lot of commentary and stuff on the political stuff in Battlestar Galactica, for example. So I think that Cyberman is in a way following that kind of trend and sort of building upon things. Because the, the androids in this are very similar to the replicants, for example, in Blade Runner, as we were talking about before we started recording. Um, and I was struck, I actually just watched the film for the first time uh, just a few days ago, and was struck, um, as we talked about, that there's the famous big speech that Rucker airs, replicant character gives at the end of the film about, you know, I have seen strange things that you people wouldn't believe. And one of the things he references is seeing something burning off Orion, which I was listening to this and sort of at the time, I was sitting there
1: going... Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Things I, tie in one, one to another.
0: Yes, and I don't think, even, you know, it's building on a tradition. I don't think it's really ripping anything off. It might be paying homage to a few things. Right. But I don't think it's sort of doing an outright ripoff of anything, but it's building sort of on these trends. But I think it's kind of interesting in a way that, you know, the Cybermen are the big monster of this.
1: I was going to say, while well, the humans and androids are... Tied up in this war, this unwinnable war, they're getting nowhere. Yeah, neither side seems to have an advantage, and then that's when yeah, the the cybermen step in. Yeah, at humans' invitation.
0: Mm, indeed, it's like I think there's a reference that this war between the humans and the androids has been going on for like twenty years or something.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which
0: yeah going back to as I said, sort of the potential of the war on terror analogy, because you know that's, a, you know, we're 10 years into that at this point, or I think we're getting closer to 15 at this point, mm-hmm. uh, from kind of the start of that, And there's sort of, as people have said, no end in sight, and I guess in a way also maybe going back to the Cold War, because, you know, even from the very beginning of the Cold War, there was a sense that this was going to be a long, decades-long conflict, but I think also that the sense of, Going back to actually where the Cybermen's origins are in terms of TV with stuff like 10th Planet, but also if you think back to spare parts, for example, that the whole thing about the Cybermen has always been about how far will we go to survive, and at one point does technology sort of go too far, and we replace everything that makes us human, and in this case, I think there's a sense almost, as we find out in the first episode *Scorpions*, that there's such a desperation On the part of some people to win this endless bloody war that they turn to something inhuman and are willing to subject people to it in the end to try and win this war. But as I think somebody points out fairly quickly, you can't just manufacture a few Cybermen. So I think it's building on kind of these ideas that have always kind of been there, I think sort of in the mythos of particularly the Cybermen, but also I think the show
1: itself. Yeah, and the people that are involved in this um, are all too human in their desire to win this war at all costs. And we also find out are already being somewhat influenced in their decisions by the subtlety of the Cybermen. Uh, the Cybermen have have gotten a hold of some very influential people, and those influential people are selling the Cybermen to the humans.
0: Yeah, I think it's, the, it's sort of the notion, I think, behind a lot of the conspiracy theories, with a lot of conspiracy theories, which is the idea that behind the perceived threat to you know, communism or terrorism or whatever, that there could be somebody, you know, with a bigger agenda in the background, sort of big brother in a lot of these conspiracy theories. And I think it's an idea that's really presented here as well, that it's, you know, that it's like, okay, we have fought this war for this long, we have to win it. Let's sell the idea and make it palatable. But at the same token, it's going to lead to something absolutely terrifying and have something absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. I think one. Of the, I think the cyber planner at one point refers to it as kind of the... Uh, The sort of the the cold future of logic, uh, that this is what they're going to impose on the entire human race. And as I said, we was talking, trying to talk about earlier that, you know, that the Cybermen are they they are the title monster in this. But they're very much, I think, for the most of these four store releases, they're in the background. They're Mm -hmm. kind of lurking. They're sort of a silent threat in a big way, which is an interesting thing to kind of do on audio. But I think in a large respect, it's not about the Cybermen in a way. The Cybermen are the instigators. They're the facilitators, the things that make things happen in a way. But they manipulate people. It's interesting that the Cybermen who are emotionless and all logical are sort of past masters in a way of manipulating people's emotions.
1: Well, and the people that they choose to manipulate are people who we see demonstrated in the early parts of these stories have the capacity to be ruthless. Yes. Um, so the Cybermen pick their their people very carefully. Um, and by selling that idea of, you know, the one thing that makes you weak is fear. Yes. Wouldn't it be better to have no fear?
0: Mm. Because we meet, very early on, we meet, I guess two of our three lead main characters. We meet Paul Hunt, who's played by Barnaby Edwards.
1: Yeah, which surprises me because Barnaby Edwards has never been a favorite of mine in these big Finnish stories. But boy, he really did well in this. I, I couldn't even tell it was him.
0: Yes, and also uh, also also besides him, uh, the Karen Brett character played by Sarah Moat, who was in Sirens of Time playing three or four different parts. and was also a big character in Dalek Empire. Who plays, a, who plays Karen Brett, who kind of goes on this incredible rise to power very, very quickly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And who we meet in her very first scene. I think we get a sense of who she is and how far she is willing to go, as you were saying, Mary. Um, and she does something almost unforgivable in that very first scene.
1: Yeah, she's ruthless, but it's necessary. She sees it as necessary.
0: Yeah, and I think it's you know it's an interesting kind of allegory about you know how far it's too far you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: when do you cross the line about morality? Back to what that's what the Cybermen really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, these people who took all their emotions away to do what they thought was necessary to survive, and that's in fact what she's doing. It's no surprise then that she's called unique by them. Because I think she's already in a big way on that road and doesn't even know it yet.
1: Right. But she has that very soft core that we meet up with periodically throughout this. Yes. Um, trying to retain her humanity um, with the help of the what her, her side person, um, who you also get the feeling is her lover for a while.
0: Yes. The, the Liam Barnaby character played by Mark
1: McDonald. Correct. And he is in there periodically trying to pull her back into her humanness. Right. It's like, you but know... he, too, he, too, then is brought into a love affair by, yes. of all horrible things, horrible things, an android. Yes. <sighs> And that's the beginning of human and android finding out they're not that far apart. Yeah, I think there's sort of three or
0: four sort of main characters in this. Uh, We've mentioned three of them already. And the other one being the Samantha Thorne character Mm -hmm. played by Hannah Smith, who is an android sort of spy on Earth, Mm -hmm. who is the one character, I think, who sort of connects everybody because she ends up finding out about this mysterious Scorpius project, but can't find out anything about it. And it ends up, I think as it goes along, this becomes a thriller very quickly, especially in that second episode that they do. Um, Because I think you begin to go on a journey, and it's interesting that it uses sort of character monologues, particularly from Karen and Liam and Samantha, to kind of move the story along sometimes months, sometimes years at a time. Because we end up following sort of Karen's rise to power, as it were, going from sort of a fleet commander to commander-in-chief to the president of Earth.
1: In well, at the very... same time, we're following the, the journey of Liam Barnaby um, being excluded from all of that. Yes. And on his road to possible conversion.
0: Yes. And I think it's about midway through the second episode. Fear, I believe, is the second one. Yes. There's an incredible sort of eight-minute scene that's just between Karen and Liam. Um, It's really kind of a confrontation between things because he's been sensing that there's something wrong and he's been trying to meet her and he's finally able to. And it's the the, sort of the reoccurring theme of there is nothing to fear, that everything's going to be all right. We just have to do, you know, take this step further kind of thing. And he's like, you know... I think literally it will put, what the hell's going on, Karen? Mm-hmm. And I think it ends up, it's an absolutely incredible scene between the two of them. And I think it's also the realization of how far their friendship has gone. It sort of disappeared behind whatever's happened to her, which we, I think it's hinted at, but you don't know for sure until I think very early on in the third episode, uh, what's happened to her. But also, it's, as I said, it becomes a thriller for a while. Because he's, not only is he excluded, he becomes hunted. Yes. Um, Which is, as you mentioned, is where he meets up with Samantha for the first time. And something I just want to throw in here, which is the fact that, uh, Mary, you're on the 20 Megabyte Doctor Who podcast. I'm an occasional Mm co-host. And it's hosted by Adam Pearson, who's on the Isle of Wight.
1: Oh, yes. So
0: I couldn't help but be amused that there that a big part of the plot of this centers around the Isle of Wight.
1: Right, where there's a refugee colony.
0: Yes. I think or, it starts no, it's a out, penal colony. It's a penal colony and then becomes sort of a refugee thing. And, of course, we suddenly discover there's a lot more to it than that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it's hinted at that there is somewhere a few miles off the coast a crashed cybership that has been, essentially has taken over this mysterious Scorpius project that has apparently, you know, disappeared and then suddenly has come back. And it's at this point that the story shifts off Earth for, I think, basically the back half of this of this of these two releases as we go, well, we literally go off the planet. And we end up, I think, focusing more in particularly parts two and three on the androids as well.
1: Yeah, part three is when Liam Barnaby, because he's been rescued by this android, is now traveling with the androids. Yes. Um, and, and of course, they don't trust him at all. Yeah. You know, understandable because of this 50-plus year war.
0: Yes. And sort of, you know, the idea that, you know, old enemies coming together to fight the bigger
1: enemy. Right. And and he's constantly trying to convince them that they're they have a common enemy and they're not buying it because they haven't seen it.
0: (laughs) Though they're aware of it before most of the humans are for that matter.
1: Right. But they don't er understand it. It's not to them. And and he manages to convince them, but then their adventure out in space um, is the thing that really convinces them and helps him, you know, become one with them.
0: Right, and I th- it's sort of an interesting kind of journey, but the thing is, is, as they point out increasingly as this goes through, that humans and androids aren't actually that different, and that the androids, in I think some respects, like the replicants in Blade Runner, are almost more human than human at times, mm-hmm. which makes the fact that they're facing the Cybermen even more interesting, because you know, on the one hand, the Cybermen want to convert all the humans, um, but the Cybermen see the androids as an irrelevance. Right. They're not living. They're not, you know, they're they're not human and they're not machines. They're useless to them, which leads to some very interesting kind of horror moments as the thing goes along. When the Cybermen decide they're going to deal with the androids they do encounter.
1: Now I do want to interject here. I think it's in this third disc that there is was for me the, the funniest scene because. Liam, having started the conversion process. Oh yes. Um, has to be being brought back to his humanness by an android of <laughs> all. Yes. By Samantha, who in her feminine wiles way keeps bringing him back to his humanness and because it keeps happening over and over that she has to keep working on him, at some point she says, Does this ever stop? <laughs> are you doing this deliberately? Yeah, are you doing this on purpose? <laughs> I love it.
0: It's, it's interesting because I think it's at the point when I think the story has reached its darkest. I think you do yes. need that comic relief.
1: You do, and it's it's so well-placed.
0: Yes, uh, especially because it follows on at the beginning of part three, we finally have our flashbacks to what's actually set a lot of what happens between discs one and two in motion, which I think leads an absolutely incredible scene towards the very beginning of it between the Paul Hunt and, and uh, Karen Brett characters. Oh yes. Where she crosses the point of no return in a big way. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And it goes back to what I was saying that you know that the cybermen despite being cold and illogical and emotionless are great at manipulating others' emotions into doing what they want them to do. Uh, it's almost like it's, the cybermen I, I you don't want to play poker against them because they can read you. Yes. <laughs> very well. Yes. Um But I think it's also the notion of uh, talking about the whole conspiracy and political allegory thing that the Cybermen are manipulating things behind the scenes so that you reach a point, I think, particularly towards the end of part three, when you reach that big cliffhanger at the end, where it's just kind of like, you know, this is not looks like it's not going to potentially end well Mm -hmm. because you have there's the line in army of ghosts which i couldn't help but think of as i was listening to it when at the end of that episode the cybermen show up on mass all five or six million of them and the doctor has the line in that episode about this isn't an invasion it's an occupation yes yes um and the fact and also i think it's an interesting what briggs does about talking about political spin and how you can take Terrible things and dress them up and make them look like they are absolutely wonderful.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Then going back to the the reoccurring thing that is throughout all of these, said by human characters and Cyberman characters alike, that there is nothing to fear, which I think is it's a very interesting kind of thing and in a way I think it makes it just as relevant now as it probably was a decade ago when this was released. And then you go into the sort of the fourth and final episode called Tell so You can guess what this one's gonna be about if you're a classic series fan. (laughs) Um,
1: Tell us. (laughs) Yes, which I have
0: to admit is a big classic series fan. Uh, This was the one just from the title I was really looking forward to. And at
1: this point, the story has really built up. Oh my gosh, this this particular disc is just nonstop. It is one battle after another. It is one uh uh-oh moment after another. I mean, it's big and it's noisy and and the winner and loser keeps changing. (laughs) Yes. I think it's
0: something that's interesting that I actually hadn't realized until I was doing some research uh, just before we started recording, which is the fact I I found an archived version of Big Finish's site that talks about this particular sort of series of stories. And these were recorded in a very different way from what Big Finish normally does. Big Finish normally records a lot of the dialogue and stuff, and then does a lot of the sound effects and voice treatments and stuff in post-production. They chose for this particular four CDs to do basically everything as live in the way it would have been done in the old days of radio. All of the sound effects and stuff being played in as the story's going along. And I think as you know, we were talking about before we started recording, Mary, you get the real sense in that this last episode that that's that you can feel it in the performances.
1: Oh, you really can. You can, everything is at full pitch.
0: I mean, it just feels like you know that these are people in that situation mm-hmm. that they are going through the thing, which is even more interesting that they're people because you know it's it's a human and a bunch of androids facing off against literally the emotionless horde of Cybermen. But you can sense, as I think, that uh oh those uh oh moments as you call them that sense of panic and that sense of fear that they have because you can believe that people are literally running from one thing to the next probably because they literally
1: are in studio they really right are. From yeah. one thing to the next and the picture that they paint of the sound effects guy going around banging things and making all these noises and distorting the voices and all, it, it, i would love to have been a fly in the wall and watched this as much as much fun as it was to listen to
0: Oh, there's an interesting anecdote that I think it's Nicholas Briggs that talks about on the archived version of the site that at one point there needed to be a character undressing. and suddenly looked up and discovered, I think it's John Ainsworth who was doing the sound effects, suddenly looked up and he's just dropping his pants to try and do the sound effect. This is kind of like that's dedication for you. That really is. (laughs) Um, And the results sound absolutely fantastic. And I think it's interesting this fourth story takes us to Telos. Because we discover very quickly, for those of you who know the classic series story, Tomb of the Cybermen, that that's where we've got to go and that everybody is trying to get there. Uh, Liam, the androids, the Cybermen, Karen, who by this point, I think, has
1: been basically converted mm-hmm. yes. into however, a However, she keeps saying, you know, mysteriously enough, she keeps saying... That there is no Karen Brett. And that even after a while begins to confuse the Cybermen. I don't understand why she keeps saying that.
0: Yeah, it's sort of that sense that she is hanging on throughout all of these. Particularly uh, parts two and three. That she's just hanging on to her her humanity or what's left of it.
1: Just a thread of her humanity is still in there.
0: And it just kind of, interestingly enough, it comes to a head in this one. This last one. Big time you know, that she its going back to those character monologues in the middle of all this action. And she's talking about, you know, that she's got, you know, sort of a a, a faint hint of a memory and then it's gone.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And that kind of thing. It's an absolutely beautiful speech she gives, I think about 20 minutes or so into this as well. And I think this last one is, is just, it's sort of all action carrying through. And it's literally the fate of the galaxy is hanging in the balance. But it's also, I, one of the things I love being a classic series fan is that if you know your classic series Cybermen stories, this last one is, as its title might suggest, absolutely full of references mm-hmm. to things. You get, obviously, the tombs on Telos, which we suddenly discover that there's a lot more to it than what we saw on TV in Tomb of the Cybermen.
1: Right, but this one is called the Master Vault. yes. And that activating this one activates thousands, hundreds of thousands of them across the universe. <laughs> yes, and the, the idea that
0: there's not—it's not just going to be this army that's sitting on Earth, or this army that's even in this particular fault—that you know, a cold, emotionless hell is about to be released on the universe. You know, at, at the right things are going. Um, but there's also references to things like Tenth Planet as well, and that kind of thing, which I just loved.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Kind of, you know, the fact that, you know, it's yeah you know, about sacrifice in a big way. And the fact that, you know, the androids who are sort of the despised enemy of humanity are, in the end, they're almost willing to sacrifice themselves to save humanity as much as themselves, which I find very interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the fact that I think is interesting as well, going back, what we're talk- talking about that is the fact that there's just the basic misunderstandings between the humans and the androids. Throughout th- these stories, we hear about how the androids want to exterminate humans, and that if the androids win this war, it's going to be the end of human civilization, and it'll be extinction and that kind of thing from the, from the humans' point of view and in their propaganda and their broadcast and all that. And the androids, you know, keep saying, it's like, all we want is acceptance. We want to be equals.
1: Right. They were made to be servants, but they want to be equals.
0: And it's sort of an interesting thing. Once again, touching upon the themes and whatnot that are developed in uh, sort of Orion initially. But I think it's one of the things that separates when you do a two CD main range story and then you get basically, what, four hours across these CDs Mm -hmm. to tell a story that suddenly, you know, what's backstory in one thing becomes incredibly important and moving and meaningful somewhere else.
1: Yes. Um, Go ahead.
0: No, go ahead, Mary, sorry.
1: Oh, because I was going to say at the end of this, um, it's not really the end. Yes. That there is a cliffhanger of sorts because having defeated, or so they think, um, the Cybermen of the main vault, um, a couple of the characters are heading back to Earth and you don't know what they're going to find there.
0: Yes. And at least that final scene is incredible as well because it is the final sort of confrontation between mm. our surviving characters. And I think it's, you know, we've been, we hinted at what's going on with Karen trying to, you know, decide, am I human? Am I Cyberman? What am I? And sort of that last one where you get, I think, that really this sort of tragic scene of these two old friends
1: mm-hmm. and
0: what's left of one of them. And, uh, and you know, the other one who has this kind of new perspective on basically his entire life and what he's been doing for all of it. And it leads into it the sort of those incredible final lines. Who does the future really belong to, man or Cyberman? And I love the, the ambiguity kind of at the end of it as well as you talk about Mary, you don't know what's going to happen next. It's a huge cliffhanger because it's like, okay, we've done this. Mm -hmm. But talking about, you know, back in part three, we find out that basically earth has been occupied by the Cybermen. Mm -hmm. Um, So the future looks rather bleak. Right. To be honest, it's like, you know, you've, you've won the battle, but you haven't won the war necessarily. So it's kind of no surprise then that there, there is a sequel that took four years to get made. But I think it's you know, not taking the sequel into account, which I have heard. Um, and this is the first time I'd heard this this first series since I'd heard Cyberman two a couple of years ago.
1: Oh, I've heard the this series. This is my third listening. <laughs> oh, this, third listening. I love it so much, but I haven't heard the the second series yet. And something we should definitely do in future
0: is uh, do the second series. Then I'd say this having having not heard Dalek Empire, which especially the first two seasons of which. I think people tend to sing their praises of, but I think that when my first instinct when I first listened to this was that this was this was bloody good drama to begin with. Yes, and it's interesting in a way. I think that you know Radio Four Extra in the UK runs what they call the Seventh Dimension, which is sort of a sci-fi sort of strand of programming, and this is something I think that would be absolutely perfect for it. The cyber, you know, there's not a whole lot of Doctor Who connections in this, I don't think, at all it's something that it, it helps if you know what the cybermen are obviously but i don't you don't even i think need to have heard sort of orion to kind of pick up on where things are going i right. think it helps
1: right if you, it's like if you have the background it's great but if you don't it doesn't matter
0: yes i mean it is a solid sort of series in its own right um it is a legitimate spin-off series uh, mm-hmm. in that respect because you could listen to it on its own. I th- in a way, I think it's a shame that the Cybermen are in it because I think you could do it without the Cybermen and it, you could put it out as its own sort of independent entity. And I think people might come to it and find it in that regard because then it wouldn't have any Doctor Who connections it with, into it at all, which might be the reason why it's not getting broadcast on things like Radio 4 Extra and whatnot. Uh, might be the sense some you know, network executive is sitting there going, well, it's this Doctor Who-connected thing. People aren't going to be able to follow it. You don't need to know very much about Doctor Who to follow it.
1: Right. And However, they do. They and I don't know because I do know the Doctor Who universe. But when they when there are the early viewings of a Cyberman, those little flashes of uh, of a Cyberman, um, I'm not sure if the people who have no idea what a Cyberman is would so immediately recognize what they're looking at. Yeah, that's a good point. Because they don't go to great detail describing it. But those of us who know Cybermen is like, oh, wow, yeah, that's a Cyberman.
0: Yeah. And something else that's interesting, kind of looking at it from a classic series fan point of view, these are the late 60s Cybermen, particularly from The Invasion. Yes. Um, it, it, you know, not just on the cover artwork, because I think Nicholas Briggs has said those are his favorite designs. Mine too, for that matter, because there's something rather striking about those helmets and those suits that they're in.
1: Yeah, it's kind of the first time that they were pretty all metallic, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because I think you had the first ones where they were sort of the cloth faces in Tenth Planet, and then you had the ones that were used in in, um, Moonbase and Tomb of the Cybermen and Will in Space, which were kind of the... They had the helmets, but it was it was almost looked like a guy in a diving suit. In a yeah, way. It you way, see a the a guy in a diving back, suit. Yeah. Which to be fair the, the invasion ones were as well, but it looked more metallic. It
1: looked more yeah. They looked more invincible.
0: Yes. And in fact something I have to give Nicholas Briggs credit for as well, as well as doing frankly, a fantastic script for these four episodes. Is his Cyberman voices as always. Because he oh, perfectly, yes. he perfectly hey. captures those late 60s Cybermen voices
1: Mm -hmm.
0: from the invasion and also the voice of the cyber controller from that story as well but bringing it up to date and sort of making it so it sounds more modern in a way it doesn't have that kind of 60-ish tones to it if that makes sense
1: yes it does yeah And, and you're right I was caught by that too
0: um, I think there's something Nicholas Briggs talks about that David Tennant makes comments about sort of the Dalek voices in the new series that they're as, they're not what you remember but they're as scary as you remember.
1: Yeah.
0: And I think that's definitely the case here because I think that yeah the Cybermen and the invasion I think was as you say it was really the first time they were all sort of metallic and I think it's the first time in watching classic series. Cyberman stories, those early stories, I really felt that they were a menace and that they were a threat in a big way. So it doesn't surprise me that that's what they go with here. And I think that the implication is that it's one of those ships that crashed at the end of the invasion that's what they find that sets this whole thing in motion. Mm -hmm. So I think it's absolutely fantastic for releases. And I think it's worth mentioning that they're part of the big finish for a fiber strand of things as well, so you can get them For five bucks each on download. Actually, I think you can get them cheaper than that if you do a subscription. And the CDs are less than $10 each. That's how I got them. I bought them in a sale. If you're looking for something, I think, that really expands the Doctor Who universe. And that is just bloody good drama in its own
1: right. I I highly recommend this. And if you love Cybermen like I do. Yes. (laughs) And something else I'd like to mention is that I was struck throughout by the lack of any actual music. Everything is sounds sounds like the abstract kind of you know in quotes music that they were producing in the sixties and seventies to be controversial. Yeah. Um, so it's it's almost music, but it isn't. It's very metallic and um and not instrumental, but uh, what are the drums and all that called? The, oh, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of what it is. A uh, percussion. Yes it's a lot of percussion sounds that make you think music, but aren't.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of, I think, you know, it made me think in a weird way of survivors when we reviewed it, there's a lot of ambience.
1: Yes. In a way,
0: um, rather than the actual music, with the exception of kind of the sort of the stings and whatnot that open and close it.
1: Yes. Um, And that's not music so much as it's abstract, almost percussion type sounds.
0: Yeah, but stuff that does a very good job of setting the mood of what you're about to go into, um, especially at the end of it when you have, you know, Cyberman. Yeah. Um, It's it's, Yes, I I, I would go out on a limb and say, you know, I feel like we say this a bit too often sometimes. I think Big Finish does incredibly impressive work, but I still think it's one of the best things that Big Finish have done. And it's something that's very underrated that I think a lot of people haven't heard. So, yeah, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Um, By God, it's cheap for that matter. So. Oh, yeah. So go listen to it. What are you doing? Yeah. Put it down. Go
1: listen to this. Yes.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I think that just about wraps things up for this episode.
1: Yes. I think we've effused enough.
0: Yes well for our next episode which will be our first episode celebrating our first podcast first anniversary we're going to tie back into the tv series once again in a kind of sort of way looking at two stories touching upon elements most recently used in the tv series but in a non-canon kind of way we'll be looking at the doctor who unbound stories full fathom five and exile so until next time that's goodbye from me and goodbye for me so long thanks for all the fish And remember, there is nothing to fear.